No Man Should Ever Walk Alone with Danny Frawley. Welcome, wonderful to have your company on No Man Should Ever Walk Alone. It's all thanks to Chemist Warehouse, who are the home of real fragrances every single day. Now, obviously, uh, tonight I can't be alongside my great mate Danny Frawley, but he has got a very, very fascinating chat coming your way tonight. It's a chance for me to sit back and just enjoy and have a listen, and it's a chance for you to do the same. Here is Danny Frawley with Stuart Taylor. Thanks a lot, Jack. It gives me great pleasure now to introduce Stuart Taylor, the CEO of Springfox, powered by Resilience. Good evening, Stuart. Oh, hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. No, it's uh, great to have you on board, and I'm sure the, the listeners uh, will be uh, enamored with what we're going to talk about, but tell us about your journey before you got into the Resilience. Um, you're a part of the Resilience Institute as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a global... Uh, organization that we are aligned with. So we work with uh, Australian organizations mostly and also then globally. Yeah. Before we um, get into that, uh, the first part of it, might, might just tell about your life story, a bit like the the typical male. Um, as you know, my background, I won't go into it too much, but, you know, football, um, coach, media, star, in inverted commas, and those things sort of define me before something happened to me, you want to tell the listeners and um, your bit of a life journey when you were top of Collins Street. I, th- I think you call it the Paris end. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, look, even if I look back to my uh, my youth, um, I perhaps the, the common thing was uh, academic excellence, you know, <laughs> that smart kid who always got the, uh, the good grades and whose parents would... Uh, um, speak amazingly well of because he was so so excellent. So you had the dream childhood. Yeah, definitely, and you know, huge huge amounts of love around yeah. me and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you do find though along the way it becomes the ex- expectation in mm. a way that this is how you're going to perform, and every time you go into that exam, you know you're at a mm. you know trying to operate at that high higher level. So a B was pretty much unacceptable in your mind? Yeah, in my mind. Not so much yeah. my parents' mind, but yeah, certainly but in my your mind. mind. I, was, I was my toughest marker. and So uh, it started from a very young age. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that in itself uh, brings high levels of anxiety along the mm. way, not because of what someone else was doing, but because of what I was doing. So you're ruminating yeah, for in sure. your brain, thinking, and I've got to be the... The top mark at this school, I've got to be the best athlete, I've got to, yeah. All, all that stuff, and so as, as a result, you end up with, uh, you know, um, you know, couldn't sleep and, all, yep. you know, all, all those symptoms. You go, well, what's this about? You had no idea growing up that that was caused by mm. that level of cortisol in your system mm. because you were operating with yep. high stress. Yeah. And you went pretty highly through uni and then fast-tracked to... KPMG, I think. So I was in the Air Force. Okay, initially. the Air Force, sorry, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so well, that was just a fantastic uh, time. Uh, interesting. So did that give you a, a bit of a stature as well? Uh, de- definitely stature, but also um, a huge level of uh, confidence, which I think was an important part of, if you like, becoming yeah. a man, <laughs> yeah. that you took ownership for your life. Um, interestingly, you know, it's, it's a, it's a uh, fine line between confidence and arrogance, yep. and I think uh, that was a challenge in the military. Uh, they do try and push you to that place mm-hmm. where you can go into yep. battle yep. and be overconfident that you're going to win. So how many years were you in the 
services? In the, uh, nine years. Nine years, yeah. wow. Yeah. And did you go up the tree there pretty quickly or was oh, there... Look, it's in the early years you go up the tree as you go up the tree. It's not yeah. so much, uh, uh, but just absolutely loved it. Yeah. That opportunity to experiment to yep. ex- uh, express your leadership. Did you travel uh, the world with that as well? No, not so much. It was more Australia-based. It was yep. before all the wars started. Yep. Funnily enough, they started after I got out. So I don't know. <laughs> Good timing. Did you make a connection there? <laughs> yeah. So did you end up leading men as well in this role? Like you, obviously... Indeed. So yeah. I was uh, a junior officer and uh, uh, had you know, 100, 100 guys working for me at one point yep. uh, before I got out. Yeah. So then... Um, what did you study in, in the KPMG? I've, I've done my homework a little bit. Did you study that whilst you're in the, the services, the, the accounting side of things? Or? Yeah, so it wasn't actually accounting. So because of the engineering background that okay. I had, uh, KPMG were, were just picking up engineers everywhere to try and build in a more consulting, uh, and systems based thinking. So once, once I jumped out of the Air Force, I was going into organizations and redesigning their structures from the, the bottom up and uh, uh, again just a wonderful experience unfortunately the consequences of all of those engagement typically was uh, redundancies and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I suppose from from your point of view sitting there um, it's it's actually stroking your ego somewhat isn't it when you when you're sitting there going into these big companies and you're actually not not involved per se as in running the company, but you're yeah. going in and giving them advice, yeah. and then that advice actually comes to fruition, and they, they're they happy with you, KPMG are happy, yeah. you go up the tree, so all of a sudden you're you're the man in that space by the sound of it. Yeah, look, it, it, you do feel like a bit of a master of ceremonies in a way when you're facilitating those huge, mm. huge projects and bringing it all together, and that's, uh, you know, that's a buzz, a huge mm. buzz, you know, like like playing sport or like a, the master of your your uh, talent, uh, you definitely feel like you're, uh, you know, you're doing well. And it, I, I read in uh, one of your books, and we'll talk about them later on, you, you, you're up the the Paris end of Collins Street now. I must have been. I, I didn't know what the Paris end of Collins Street was. Yeah, yeah. But um, I do know the Strato Piccolo now. That's something I've learnt uh, this morning. I like it because it's... Uh, is that how we pronounce it? Uh, uh, Restretto. Restretto, there yeah. you go. I knew I didn't have it properly. Yeah. But it's good because it's not a... There's a good coffee hit and not a lot of milk, so um, I need that at the moment. But, yeah, the Paris end of Collins Street, explain that. Oh, look, it was, um, you know, when you're in your 20s and you do feel like you're bulletproof and uh, and you, you've just uh, got a job at one of the most prestigious organisations in the country and you're carrying that uh, enormous brick-sized mobile phone. Mm. So what is that back to, <laughs> in that time? Is that the one with the handle <laughs> yeah, on, like a car well, battery? Pretty well. <laughs> and you're in your fresh new suit. So you're one and, of the first guys to have the, like, for example, uh, <laughs> my daughter's, I want the iPhone 6, whatever it is, yeah. the Apple. You, you always want that one before anyone else? Was <laughs> that the way it was? Of course, of course. You had to strap to your belt and, you know, like, <laughs> you, know you could just feel the... Made sure everyone could see it? Yeah, well, anyway, it was an interesting time and, and it was... For someone who'd been in the military to have got out and got their their fresh suit and yeah, nice tailor made off suits. you went and you know it's uh, looking back on it you have to put a, a bit of a grin on your face to go <laughs> wow <laughs> who, who was this person well uh, you know I'm, I I cut to the chase somewhat it, half a wanker would that be the way <laughs> oh, come of... on no. <laughs> I, I, I resemble that remark <laughs> no, no, money joking but um, and then all of a sudden well it's a huge fork in the road it could have been. A dead end. Tell us about your life-changing experience. Yeah, so um, after I spent time 
uh, with KPMG actually went corporate or was it with um, with uh, Heinz Food for a number of years mm. and uh, a few years into my time with Heinz, I started experiencing some symptoms, which I, of course, ignored because mm. I was too busy. And what type of symptoms were they? Yeah, so I was uh, when I blew my nose, I get this enormously sharp pain through my head, and of course, uh, you know, so what? Ten foot tall, too, too busy, got to yep. keep moving. You've been in the. The, the yeah, services. Absolutely. You're a big strong man. Yeah, so it took me probably uh, six weeks before I decided to do something about that. And, uh, I, w- I went to the GP and he said, oh, I think uh, some sinus tablets will help. And I said, well, hmm, I know nothing about help, uh, health. I certainly didn't at that point. Uh, and said, actually, I'd like a scan. <laughs> mm. And I don't know why I asked, mm. but he said, oh, well, okay, sent me off for a scan. And, uh, lo and behold, the, um, the letter we got back from the radiologist had some pretty big words in it, and even in that, those days, it didn't take long to work out that uh, it was not a not mm. a good story, uh, and ended up being diagnosed with a grade three uh, brain tumor. Wow! Uh, the, the prognosis was two and a half years. Uh, so what for life expectancy? Yeah, yeah. So there I am at the age of thirty-two with thirty-two with, family with three kids. Eldest was five. My God! Uh, so, you know, for a I can imagine driving home that night. Uh, well, you know, it's uh, for for a guy who's like, well, I couldn't imagine. Sorry, who's all all you know, rational left brain. You know, everything's got a reason. Uh, this clearly was a huge shock for my wife and I, and. Um, you know, what do you do with that at, at the age of 32? You mm. mean, so young. Because you're so, probably thinking at this stage, I'm working consistently, you know, long hours. Um, you're probably thinking that even though I'm not seeing much of the family, I'm putting them all through private school, I'm getting a lot of funds, I'm going to retire early, I'm going to do all those things, I'm winning. Then all of a sudden, this comes about, because you're thinking that's going to happen when you're at 70, and all of a sudden, bang. And I think we did a pretty good job of keeping it in context and, you know, do some research and try to understand it. And, uh, it was not short, it was shortly after we had got this news that we shared it with a dear friend of ours whose husband had died from a brain tumor while she was pregnant with her first child Mm. and, um, her emotional response, outburst of emotion Mm. was really, what brought it home for us that we were in a pretty dire situation. Yeah, and, and coincidentally, yeah, I was just talking to you um, last night about the fact we did Connor's Run, as you know. Right, yes. Um, such a great charity. They raised a million dollars yesterday for research into, Outstanding. into brain cancer research. We lost a, a very good friend of ours, daughter, who was 11 yeah. through stem cell cancer. So we've seen that from pretty close. Yeah. But obviously when you're the, the breadwinner, and all of a sudden, this is put on your plate, and you've got, you know, a young family and a beautiful wife. It must have been a, you know, looking back, a tough time. But you've probably got to get some processes in place that you're not quite sure. Of all you've been told where the finish line is, mm. you're not prepared for it. It must have been a, a nice old smack in the face. Yeah, just just uh, huge. And it's like, uh, you know, how do you even start to um, explain to the kids what this mm. means and clearly our our youngest child was too young. Yeah. Our, our, our five-year-old had some sense of what was going on, just uh, watching uh, the emotion of mm. the, um, his parents and also friends 
Uh, and I, I think our second eldest, he was just so confused by it all. And, and for many years, I think that confusion continued just to make sense mm. of what, what is, uh, happened, what's happening to my dad. So talk us through the, re- the recovery and, uh, you know, you, you want to live as long as you possibly can, but you haven't been given great news up front. No. Um, how long this process come about in one trying to get better, but more importantly, how that your mind and your way of thinking changed along the way as well. Yeah. Compared to this guy, you know, d- living the dream, Collins Street, and and how the, this unfolded. It's actually a, it was actually quite an eye-opening process to be honest. You, I bet it was. When you 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 got this diagnosis, and then then you start to enter into the medical system, which you know uh, had no idea about, and uh, went along for a um, you know the advice on what you needed to mm. do, and. Uh, we then realised that you, you needed to interview different neurosurgeons. It wasn't mm. just your neurosurgeon off you went and okay. ended up being quite a... And you got a choice? Uh, yeah, there was also a marketing exercise on their uh, basis to say, oh, yeah, go with me because I'm great at this. And so it was actually, what did you... it was actually quite confusing, to be honest. Yeah. Here you are in like a, a, a rabbit in the spotlight and you, you've got all this coming at you. Wow. And uh, anyway, we, we, we were... How did you pick the, we, the one that you obviously did a good job, yeah, whatever it is? and ended up picking the youngest youngest guy with the smallest <laughs> hands, to be honest. <laughs> and he had a sense of humour, which was Oh, handy. that helps, so, uh, especially in a time such as this. <laughs> well, you know, we, yeah. we did try and keep a sense of humour through the process and uh, it was just um, just a, a an interesting challenge to say... Keep our heads as much as we can, mm. and and of course the biggest the biggest positive to the whole thing was the huge support from family. Well, uh, very um, motivational, and actually, you know, a lot of people listening out there would would have empathy and people going through this as well, Stuart. So, we're going to take a a quick break. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse and uh, Wiley Mercedes Benz. So after the break, uh, we'll talk more of the recovery, but more importantly, the magnificent job you're doing now. Um, with Spring Fox. No man should ever walk alone with Danny Frawley. Well, Stuart, the, the recovery process sounds like your, um, your, your, your brain's getting rewired as well as the, you know, you're recuperating from um, brain cancer. It sounds to me like your, your mindset and your way of living has been flipped on its head as well. Do you want to enlighten us on this a little bit? And obviously, you know, now we'll we'll talk about the finish line where you're going to, but this process of how you're thinking, well, and a huge negative is starting to become a, a positive in your mind. Yeah, I think, Danny, when I recall back to that time, 2002, so it's nice to see them mm. 16 years down yeah. the track from that two and a half year. We approved the first doctor wrong, yeah. thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the earlier things that I did actually between brain surgery and radiotherapy was to go and spend time at the Gawler Cancer Foundation. And Is that Ian Gawler? Sorry? Ian Gawler? Yeah. yeah. It, it, it just for a guy who, me, who yeah. has come through a you know, academic and, and sort of kind of brain, mm. <laughs> ironically, yeah. uh, focus to actually have the experience of there's more ways to look at things mm. than just rational. And uh, the, the time I spent there was actually to understand more about emotions. And uh, just on, just on, and uh, when I was coaching Richmond, we got Ian down oh, did to you? speak okay. about the players. And yeah. uh, 
I didn't do my homework, and when he walked in, well, with crutches on, on one leg, it mm. sort of opened my eyes up. But, yeah, he was absolutely outstanding. Uh, we were only him for a short time, but mm. I can see he's had a huge impact on your life. Yeah, look, at the sort of things that I, that I opened my mind to um, was around meditation, meditation uh, was around um, positive thinking, understanding emotions, um, getting comfortable with the prospect of death and dying, which, you know, you say, mm. well... Well, surely we are. Actually, we're not. <laughs> most mm. most people are not comfortable yeah. with that idea. Yeah. We think we're going to live forever, which yeah. we're not. And yeah, uh, right. it was come, making peace with that was um, a huge impact that said, you know what? It'll be what it'll be. Now let's get on with life and mm. and uh, give it a fair kick. And so it was it, that was so fundamental for me to to make the shifts that I then made. So you went to and uh, the Gawler Foundation basically to help yourself. Um, get through a tough time. Well, it, it was a as a time to reflect and to understand me better. Yeah. Uh, so that I could make better choices, and uh, as as a result of that, my wife and I were able to then start to say, "Well, what does this look like moving mm. forward?" And and you know, it was one one exercise that I did as part of that retreat, which was around uh, doing artwork and. And one particular drawing that I did was around a crossroad, and it was just so so um, you know, pivotal for me to see that actually mm. what I was doing right now wasn't helping me yeah. to move forward. Yeah. And it was that day that I decided that actually I needed to change my mm. path. And so just an amazing gift to mm. say, you know, actually there's an upside to this thing. So the meditation, um, for the first time in your life, you've 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 got off the treadmill of life. Yeah. Um, and the meditations actually helped you focus on the things that matter matter most, and that's your inner being. Yeah, who who would have thought? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, I I'm sorry. who would have thought I'm here talking to you? Yeah, <laughs> five right. years ago. That's right, and uh, it uh, is such an amazing amazing exercise of of stillness to be able to stop rather than be on the whole time. And I think it's a real challenge for everybody in this busy world. How do you actually slow down and stop? And it really... So just on that, mm. before you started meditating and you had your, your your cancer surgery, you thought your meditation was to be super busy. Well, super busy. Uh, the other... Um, the closest thing I would have come to meditation without knowing it would have been exercise. Yeah. Uh, but it certainly would... An active meditation, but, you, if you like, but certainly like, not a passive meditation. Were you playing golf with the phone in your hand, putting, and all that sort of jazz? <laughs> uh, not, not quite, but, yeah. but I, it certainly wasn't anything close to yeah. the idea of sitting still for 30, 15 to 30 yeah. minutes uh, and quieting the mind. So heading into the Resilience Institute and, as I said, now the CEO of Spring Fox, um, did you and your wife um, think about maybe this is a career for me? Not... Not actually to make money, but actually, to, firstly, to get you back on track. Yeah, look, I think um, in a way it was getting me back on track, but it was also around saying, you know, I can see how so many other people are living the life that I was living mm. inside big corporates and organisations. Uh, there's got to be a change. There's got to there's got to be an awareness mm. or, a, or a wake up, if you like. And so, uh, when I came into contact with the Resilience Institute. The founder, uh, it became obvious to me that this was where I would like to go to mm. be working with 
people that are also pushing too hard and falling over and uh, getting depressed or burnt out and you know what a contribution I could be making with the knowledge that I'd gained as a result of this experience. And the beauty of um, Google and YouTube, I've been doing my homework over okay. the last couple of days, uh, Google Stuart Taylor Resilience, and the thing that actually hit me right between the eyes, and hopefully will with the listeners as well, is your talk on the ego trap. And so do you want to talk to us about that? Because it, it sure. actually smacked me right between the eyes and was right in my sweet spot where I was and hopefully where I want to get to. Yeah, yeah thanks. It's, it's uh, I reckon, about five years down the, down the track from uh, this diagnosis, I started to reflect on what shifts I had made. Yep. And... So, like like a lot of people, I decided to write a book, mm. and uh, and so I did. And, Name of the book? Uh, it's called Assertive Humility, yep. Emerging from the Ego Trap. I like uh, it. Uh, it was originally called The Ego Trap, yeah. and someone said, oh, no, 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 it's too negative. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, I'll flip the title around uh, and uh, put it Assertive Humility first. And it just became really clear to me as I did look at my my life that my life was all about the feeding of ego and, yep. and of since talking to a lot of other people about this, realized yep. that a lot of people have the same issue. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of my youth was about academic excellence and people go, oh, you're fantastic. And of course, the ego gets fed and the more it gets fed, the more you get addicted to yep. that feedback. Uh, and it's the biggest way, the fastest way to kill your resilience because you become so dependent on the views of others mm. that you've got the inner resilience is gone. And yeah. So you were... Like most of us, uh, I'm not sure what, what you put us so-called high achievers in in the past, <laughs> you are more defined what people you the people perceive you of instead of yourself. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. So you overcare yep. about the views of others. or the, Like uh, to please everyone else. The performance of others, yep. which I think is an interesting, interesting yep. one. Uh, or, or, or I undercare. Yes. Uh, so take through to arrogance. So the, this overcaring or undercaring means what I'm not doing is actually caring. Yep. And resilience and assertive humility is all about, uh, caring for others and caring for self, uh, yep. which gets lost when it's all about ego. So, and so with, with your ego in the past, what it was like pre, um, treatment? And what it is now? Can you explain that? So I was, uh, what's the way to put it? Um, fairly sure of myself. Yep. <laughs> I think it's fair, fair to say. And you know, in a way, when you're in that mode, it's as much about making up for the fears that lie underneath as it is about being out in front. Uh, and so, you know, you see people that are coming across as arrogant. Often, it's more yep. they're masking their huge self doubts that sit, uh, sit underneath that. And if there's anything that I've learned through this whole process, in, in a way it's from the Buddhists, they have this amazing uh, um, amazing word called equanimity. And it's... it's Explain. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a sense of, uh, I'm okay. Yep. It's a sense of, uh, it'll be all right. Stillness. Uh, it, it, definitely that stillness, it's making peace with whatever might be, mm. uh, rather than always living in the future thinking, oh, will it work out? Will it not work out? Am I going to be caught out? Will I be shown up as a fake? You know, all, all of this, this worry that, uh, keeps you awake at night mm. and makes it very difficult to be yourself. Resilience as a part of this, um, ego trap that it 
people just don't get resilience, do they? And you talk about the Buddhists. They, they've, they've actually had it for thousands of years. Uh-huh. We're in society in Australia, and I know that you, you're right in this space. Tell us about the typical Australian. How are we on the resilience? Because we've got a big country. We're mm. a very good sporting country. We bat above our average yes. for the amount of people. And we seem to be the lucky country. Everyone says Australia's a lucky country. Talk to us about the resilience of our society in Australia. Look, Where are we rated? It's actually quite surprising. Uh, we have recently just published a global research report, uh, which is called Resilience Enables Strategic Agility. And it looks at over 21,000 people, uh, half of which are Australian, by the way. So we, we weigh heavily in that research. And it shows up that Australians have uh, some of the least resilience of all the other countries, which I found found astounding that mm. this was what was shown out, even though our fitness levels are the highest of all countries. Mm. And fitness normally is a, is a huge enabler for resilience. But our downfall is that we worry uh, much uh, at a much greater level than every other country, uh, and our focus levels are... Uh, Completely um, out, out. We don't. We don't. We don't focus. Monkey mind. Yeah, we do. And, and no, that's what I had. I've still got yeah. it. I've still got to train it. So, so it's, it's interesting. You talk about the lucky country or the easy going. Yeah. So easy going. Actually, we're not. We actually mm. push really hard, and we are continually wondering what the future is going to be. This is the opposite of resilience. You're How do you on. stay in the moment and engage with your talents? And because in the yeah, because in the past, people would and, and me in particular, the more I'd train, the more I'd drink. Because right. I think, oh, yeah, no, this is great. I'll train yeah. for an hour and a half this morning, do another weight session. That means I can have, you know, an extra four or five beers at night. Yes. But eventually that there's a there's an end point to that as well. Yeah. Because your body gets one one immune to uh, the training because that becomes a, an addictive drug. And then the alcohol becomes addictive as well. So, yeah. and I've found that the thing with meditation and just actually doing nothing with your brain and sitting there every morning looking at the stars before I do anything is the best part of my day because then I can tick off three things I want to get out of the day and today's been obviously having a chat to you and making sure the listeners get some really good feedback, um, being in the moment at home with my family and, and having a good night's sleep. Yeah. So sometimes I think we, as a society, think you've got to do th- three things where you win gold medals. We're, we're caught up in that trap. Yeah, we and are. It's, it's uh, you know... The only place it actually exists is the now, is the now, and I know that's not a new concept, but we struggle to do that because we're always chasing the next win, uh, and that intensity uh, is not where the brain wants to mm. live. No man should ever walk alone with Danny Frawley. So you do a lot of, um, I think, over. You've probably spoken to big corporates, you know, worldwide, individual schools, whatever. I think over twenty five thousand people. Um, how do we? How do we get involved? And for the listener out there that might be involved in a big company, um, how do we get involved and, and see the Spring Fox scenario led by yourself? Do we get on a website or do we... Yeah, so you can definitely uh, head to our website, which is um, springfox.com. Yep. And you see lots of uh, uh, resources there. Mm. Um, we do diagnostic instruments, which help you to understand yep. where you're up to and uh, and operate public programs that 
can give you that uh, that insight. Okay. Uh, what about um, I've got the book Resilience Enables Strategic Agility, the Global Resilience. So this report, um, I'm looking forward to reading it. And thank God, there's a lot of pictures in there and a lot of big numbers. But it's some really the rethink of mental health. Um, that I, th- I think that is one of the key insights in this in this research report. There's so much time spent on how do we how do we stop depression? Yeah. And yet when you think about mental health, the actual kick happens when you pursue uh, preventative uh, um, approaches. And that's what this show hopefully is all about, being proactive. You know, no man should ever walk alone. That's the, the heading of our show. We want, we want to be more proactive than reactive. And, and obviously, you initially have to be reactive. And then, you know, I had a huge downfall. But yeah. now, because I had to be reactive to that. But now I'm more proactive in trying to deal in, in mental health because back in the day, you know, stoic spud farmers, generational from Tipperary and Ireland, that if you had an issue, grab a tissue. Yeah. And the, the, the sore or the, the, the more ill you were, work it off, son. Yeah. And that, that was great because it gave you great disciplines, but we've got to get past that now because, you know, the mental side of things, and that's why your company and the work you do is so important now because the pressures of us now, and more importantly, our children, are far greater than in the past. Now, I'm sure they had their pressures, but it was more accessible. People would talk more. But now we've got the iPhone. We've, we're we on call all the time. This thing bloody owns a lot of people now, unfortunately. So th- those type of things are super important, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. And it's what you do on a daily basis uh, to invest in your resilience. Do I go for that? run do i do that meditation where is my thinking up to am i staying optimistic yeah uh, am i checking in on those emotions when they become dysfunctional yeah. uh, do i have some purpose yeah do i know where yeah. i'm trying to go uh, all of these things are those proactive things i can do to be heading north rather than heading south well you're obviously you know living and breathing you, you've had your bonus today you woke up because <laughs> 12 years ago yes. that didn't look yeah. uh, that that sort of uh, realistic did it yeah, yeah that's right you uh you build appreciation for what you've got and yeah. uh, and the people around you. And and how how's your attitude changed to you know I can't get your wife in here or your children <laughs> or your or, or your close mates? How have you um, related to them now compared to the the treadmill of life at the top end of Collins Street? But I think it's interesting and to see uh, our kids uh, growing up. I'd actually like to think the experience that they had with us going through this cancer journey mm. was a positive for them yeah. as well to see how their parents adjusted yeah. and and moved forward as a result of that challenge. Um, so I think it's a benefit. Yeah. And uh, even this last weekend, we all of us, even though they're now adults, we spent the whole weekend together having a fantastic time. And you know what? A, what a great experience! Up at Buller? Yeah, yeah. What's your what's your skiing like? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a little bit scratchy, but uh, that's all right. The snow was as well. But uh, it, it was a great weekend, you know. And you're sitting around playing cards and just enjoying each other's company. Because I bet in the past, and there's a lot of people listening here would would grim at this one. You you're in there. You're at Mount Buller. But then you'll say to the kids and your wife, oh, i just got to check the emails. Um, and there's a couple of work pressures there. Oh, look, I'll be, and you, you thought the five minutes you're going to check the emails was going to end up then being an hour. Sorry, guys, I've just got to take this important call. Yeah. Now, the important call can wait till Monday, I'm sure, unless it's completely you've got to do it. But 
the, the thing with you now, what I'm getting the same with me, is the important thing to do then is just to spend some quality time with your family and be in the moment. Yeah, look, I made a, a purposeful choice. I didn't even take my computer up there. It was it was up there for the yeah. weekend. It wasn't to actually do any work. But but also you look at you look at skiing. It's a great example of what we're talking about. You know, you stay in the moment, yep. and you're there with your family yep. and friends going down that that slope. If if you don't stay in the moment and keep that positive emotion, you're likely to end up on your face. And I've, you know, as I said, we we have dinner. I got uh, three daughters. One now lives away, but when they're when we're all together, the phones go in the drawer. Right. Now it's not a disciplinary thing, but it's just the fact that we we it's don't we're going to spend idea. our time together. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, as you know, um, people out there use the iPhone for their children as a thing of discipline. But as you know, if you you keep using that as a discipline, yeah. Someone was telling me this because you get addicted to the iPhone. To take the iPhone off a child is the same as a trying to get a heroin addict off heroin. The brain function is the same. They're manic about it. They want it. So it actually just teach your daughters, and more importantly me and my wife, that we're putting the phones in the drawer so we can have our time, not not their time. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's interesting when you look at the research that's come out of our global report, um, millennials don't fare that well. It's a real challenge for us to say how do we uh, help them to become more resilient at the moment they are struggling. Well, after the break, we're going to flesh that out, uh, Stuart. Really appreciate your time and... Uh, We'll just take a short break and we'll be back. No Man Should Ever Walk Alone with Danny Frawley. Well, Stuart, we're just going to touch on um, partners out there um, when people are going through either a really mental um scenario where the depression sets in pretty tough. Uh, also, a lot of pressures at work, stresses, and, a, and an illness. Thank God it wasn't a grave one for yours, but it could have been. Your partner, and for people out there, that the partners, because they're supporting you and me and uh, the people, people that are struggling, who supports, who supports them and how important it is for your partners to get, get some help? Yeah, Danny, I, I actually would say my job was the easiest because yeah. uh, I knew where I was up to. you were in the trench. And uh, not to mention when I was having uh, brain surgery, I was not aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the toughest job absolutely uh, was for my partner and my wife. And your children. And you know, in a way, part of her tough journey was also caring for the children. Mm-hmm. So trying to keep them... You know, aware yeah. as much as was relevant to, at their age, uh, but the toughest job absolutely is for the for the partner. And you know, while I was um, in that operation for three or four hours, um, she was sitting around a restaurant table pushing food around a plate, mm. waiting to be get to have the call to come and uh, to come and see me. So you know, it's just how do you yeah. actually move through that and. Um, so it's very clear to me I, I had the easy journey. Mm. Uh, fortunately for for her, um, family's always been a big thing mm. on both sides of our yeah. family, and you know, we have, we have more family <laughs> than you mm. could poke a stick yeah. at during that process. And that's and, good, you in know, a way. and oh, hu- like hu- hugely, and yeah. you know, to actually also look after the kids while we're going through the, you know all of that support. 
uh, just uh, so fundamental. Mm. And we know that you know, resilient people have good connections. And I'll put this in the sporting context, and then I know that you deal in a lot of sporting clubs because that's huge in AFL and, and all elite sports resilience and the power of the mind. Emma Murray does a great job down at Richmond and St Kilda um, in mindfulness and meditation. But the high-performing CEO, he he's actually got to lead a really high-performing team below him. Who looks after him? And Because mm. he's always got the answers. And I'll, I'll put this in the senior coaches' box. The senior coaches employed in AFL to make sure that the players play well so that the supporters are happy, the members are happy, the sponsors are happy, and the board are happy. So the pressures on the senior coach, to me, are way out of whack because he is only as good as the people under him and he's only as good as the people above him. But in the past, a CEO and a coach were put into that position and then from day dot, they never improved. Why? Because they had to do all the talking. But in in one of your books, you talk about humility and all the great leaders have that and they have great resilience. So... Can you just put it in, um, you talked about it before, a CEO and high performance, but then making it sustainable. And I think that is a, it's a counterintuitive challenge in our world that says, yeah, you've got to be high performance and you, know, mm. you be it a, be it a, you know, a Kathy Freeman yeah. or, or you, you, know, you take your pick. Yeah. You've got to be high performance. Well, yeah, you do. Uh, however, uh, you can't do a thousand hundred meter sprints well, that's right. and expect to be at the top of your game. We well, you can't. It, it, that's a great analogy because one sprint you're done. So if you're running flat out over hundred meters, you're not going to be able to do that again. You you will in a week's time or two weeks' time, but that's a very good analogy. And I think we're trying to, in society, uh, do that hundred meter sprint every two minutes. It's not sustainable. And so I think when you talk about a, a CEO, they've got a a huge amount of pressure that's from above in terms of board, in terms of shareholders. You know, you need to be upping your performance mm. every year and here are the mm. new targets. Bottom line and driven. If you're not improving, then you're out. Uh, they've got big issues with stakeholders in terms of uh, customers, in terms of staff. You know, it's a, it's a pretty hot seat, yeah. but it's also a lonely seat. Yeah. So who are you talking to? You're talking to yourself. If you are smart enough, you actually get yourself into uh, um, groups where you can have these these uh, peer conversations mm. to share these mm. these these challenges but the point of of high performance is key what's more important is sustainable high performance and that says you know, we are going to push hard because that's what we do people mm. want to be succeeding yeah. but we have mechanisms in place where you actually can release the valve as well on a daily basis and so to say we're going to be at 100% uh, peak performance it's ridiculous yeah. you just burn people out you know, you're looking more for something like 80% where you can yeah. actually have fuel in the tank uh, to hit those peaks when you need to. It's funny with coaching. It's quite interesting because I was a senior coach in the past and I ran the Coaches Association and the, the club aspect, um, you, know, you know, there's more people in the media following AFL than politics. So there's four times as much. So there's more scrutiny. There's more money in the game becomes more precious. The big thing I laugh at now, the coach, I'm telling the senior coach, he spends more time with his staff and his players and how can he have them fresh at 2 o'clock on a Saturday or this Friday night, for example, Collingwood versus Richmond, you'll have 7.40 start. 
That senior coach is spending all week to get them cherry ripe right Just at 7.40. Yeah. But sometimes you see the senior coach and he's got the bags under his eyes. <laughs> he should be his optimum. Yeah. So he spent all week trying to get the team and his coaches and all the media on side. But who's actually sitting him aside? So, mate, we need you at your best. Because I've seen coaches in the past, um, and they're a lot better at it now, but I still find that they spend all week getting the players fresh. But are they fresh at 7.40? Because they need to be. And it's so often forgotten, isn't it? So, you know, you're there to help others and be of service to others, and yet you neglect yourself. I'm too busy. I've got too much on. I can't go for that run. And in the end, you become the liability yourself. Well, on that, I'm too busy. So at the moment, this is a really busy time for us in football world. And Jack, you know, he's commentating, he's here, he's doing basketball. You know, we've got finals, it's great. Hmm. But there's more functions, there's more people at you. Of course. How do you how do you um, get to people to, and they say, I'm just too busy. Stuart, I just, I just haven't got time. Yeah, I think uh, we've all got the same amount of time, which I think is yeah. makes an irony of what you're saying. Yeah, but also that's a very good what, point what, itself. What I've learned along the way is you actually deduct from your 24 hours the amount of time you are going to invest in yourself. Okay, so we've now got 23 hours and 15 minutes in my day. Uh, the other 45, I'm going to do something for self, be it meditation and exercise. That time is off is actually off the chart. Now I put that aside. I've got the remaining amount of time left. No doubt we could work. 24-7 and fill the garage. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. But unless you've got this non-negotiable so, time, you, you're never going to do it. Well, I like this because that that's something right now. As I said, I get on the treadmill of life and off, and I'm still trying to get where you are in this beautiful uh, nirvana of – and I do, I do. I come up and down a bit. But the point you make there, and I hope the listeners heard the fact that we've all got the same amount of time, that's something that just went straight to my brain. And there's 45 minutes. So at the moment, everyone's doing the 23 hours and 15 to the best of their ability, and they're trying to get that 45 some stage through the day. Mm. But you're saying prioritize the 45 before yeah. everything else happens. For me, it's the first thing I do when I get out of bed, and there's less chance for the world to conspire against you to steal that 45 minutes. Spot on. So, for example, there's shift workers out there, and there's people that have jobs that, Start at daylight. So your point of view is, and I have to do it because I've got to be honest, if I don't do it of a morning, it just doesn't get done. I've yeah. always got this great intention, but then it just, as I said, the life just takes that 45 and, and you'll put it somewhere else. So if you're starting, let's say your day starts at 7.30, you're saying that put everything back 45 minutes at the start because then you've, you've done it, then it's in the can and away you go. And, and I think, you know, you talk about CEOs, there's no there's no tolerance or excuse or or latitude for having a bad hair day <laughs> at the end of the day. Like you you just, just can't do it, you know. Yeah. You rock up having a, having a bad hair day and the whole, the whole you know, Spot everyone on. around you knows that. The body language how do is I rock, huge, isn't it? How do I rock up having that good hair day because I've made those investments in myself, a sustainable performance? Yeah. and. The meditation, um, there's all types of meditation and, and mindfulness. Do you, you obviously preach it and teach it. What about yourself? So you, is, is it basically just thinking of nothing, focusing on the breath? Yes, yeah, so of recent times, and it's good to have variety. Of recent times, I've, 
of uh, taken on uh, using different apps that are out yep. there. There's so many apps that are out there uh, that can uh, allow yep. you to be guided through it. Mindfulness you know, you, one's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you don't have to do it yourself. It yep. doesn't have to be that hard. Yep. You can use these apps and they'll guide you through it for your 10, 15, 30 minutes and you just feel sensational at the end. Well, Stuart, we could spend another couple of days and uh, I, I feel like I know you really well. The Google's such a great tool. Um, but... Um, for anyone out there that wants to get more involved um, with Stuart at Spring Fox, powered by Resilience, it's basically springfox.com. And, uh, and obviously a personal one is stuart.taylor at springfox.com. But really appreciate your time. You've lived and breathed the word resilience. You've lived and breathed the treadmill of life at the pointy end of Collins Street. And now, more importantly, you're getting a big kick out of not only helping yourself but helping others. So I really appreciate your time coming on the show tonight. Thanks so much, Danny. Really, really enjoyed it.